0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon, and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I am full of energy, so hopefully I don't get it done in 20 minutes. (laughs) Uh, But today we're going to look at part two of last week's lesson. Uh, We had an intro two weeks ago. Last week uh, we had Defending the Enemy, part one. And today we're going to finish this off, Defending the Enemy Part 2. Surprise, surprise. Uh, so turn in your Bibles to Joshua Chapter 10. We're going to recap very quickly, uh, starting in verse 1, and then our verses for today are uh, verses 8 through 28. And uh, so last week we looked at the importance of defending the enemy, or another word for enemy here would be the lost, those that do not yet know Christ, those that need uh, salvation, those that desperately need God in their lives, uh, those that are lost, those that are uh, fearful, afraid, and um, they just they don't know yet. They don't have the same hope that we as as God's people have. They they are very fearful, uh, and we saw that they they were very crafty and tricky in um, tricking the Israelites, God's people, into. Uh, being in treaty with them in order to save their own lives now through their trickery we saw that um, that God used that in order to have an impact in the Gibeonites uh, in their li- in their lives in their nation to eventually be God's people I mean part of God's people they were in the temple they were serving God uh not at first probably something they wanted to do. However, it was something they came back to. When they came back from Babylonian captivity, they had the option to go other places, but they went back to Shiloh. They went back to God's place, his, his house of worship, to serve God again. So that's something, that says something about God, God's influence. And when, when God's people make a mistake or when people have ulterior motives, God can turn that around because the world from Genesis chapter 3 shifted to be in opposition against God. See, Satan has been on this planet doing a work to try to pull us and pull people away from ever knowing God, from ever worshiping God. Well, God can still turn that around. God has already conquered, so we know that God can do anything and save the lost. He came here to save those that were lost. And the. The Canaanite land, the Canaan land, this is also known as the promised land. It is it is a life abundant, and that's uh, that's our theme for the year, life abundant. And this is a perfect picture of a uh, land of milk and honey, of promises. But one thing that we don't often think about with the land of promises is there's work to be done. In our walk, there is work to be done, and there are there are oppositions along the way. There's battles that we have to face, and leading up to this, and, and we'll read here shortly uh, the, the text that led up to today's verses. But let me remind you that the great Gibeonite city had chosen to go to God for help. It was up to God's people, however, to take them in. We, we as God's people have to choose to take people from off the street, people we don't know, people we meet, to take them in and, and walk with them and lead them to Christ um, and choose to protect them. God's people have a responsibility to go out into all the world— Not just some of the world, not just the convenient places, but all the world because God commanded us and his army, that's partly us, right, to do so. He came to save the entire world and we will will see uh, the second half of this message today. So last week we saw the situation of how God's people chose to stand up and fight for the Gibeonites, those in need of God. God's people chose to stand up for those that needed God. That's, that's something that we need to replicate. We need, we need to look to the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, as an example of how we should be as God's people. This week, we see them acting in accordance with that command. So they had, they had a command. They had something they had to do. Being in a treaty, which they were already told in Deuteronomy not to do, they, not consulting God, not going to God, made a decision. Now they're bound by that decision. And now they, they act in accordance with that decision, that command. And at this point in time, Israel has been victorious. We've already seen that. But in the midst of, the, of victory, there can be a sense of unknown, and with that comes fear. How many of you have experienced unknown in your walk with Christ? And with that, there comes fear. There comes a, 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 a step of faith on our part to trust that God has a plan, that God knows what he's doing. And there's there's a great battle ahead of of the Israelites here, and there's a great battle ahead of us that we may not know yet about. Uh, for them, it was against the five cities uh, that they they that were coming against them at um, at the doors of the Gibeonites. And I imagine that Joshua, being the leader here, uh, and the people of Israel as well, were in some way fearful that there was a chance of failure. Now, when we get to verse eight, you're going to understand. Why that's apparent. So let's start in verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Adonisetic, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and her king, so he had done to Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, as one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Param, king of Jarmuth, unto Jephiah, king of Lachish, and unto Deborah, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me, that we may smite Gibeon. For it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Uh, I want to just pause for a second, because I can't help but think, in that verse right there... Um, all those. So when you when you first get saved, you have all of your circle of friends, your influences that aren't walking with Christ. You make a decision to walk with Christ. How many of you have felt that pressure from them? We need to we need to get him back. Like he's crazy. What 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 is this person thinking to go to to God or to, to trust in Jesus? And we need to bring him back. Like there's there's that that battle that happens when you first get saved to to make a decision to go. With God or go with, with the, the opposition here. And uh, these people, the, the king Adonai Zedek, he wanted to defeat Gibeon or to take down the threat because he, they, this king knew if Gibeon, this mighty force, is now with Israel, then we are surely doomed. And um, Gibeon made a decision we saw last week to go with God and not back with their old allies because they could have recoiled and said, we're sorry, we're on your side still. So, verse 5: Therefore, the, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered themselves together and went up, they and all their hosts, and encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. The men of Gibeon sent unto Joshua to the camp to Gilgal, saying, Slack not thy hand. See, this is Gibeon seeking out to God and his people. Slack not thy hand from thy servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that dwell in the mountains are gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal. Joshua, being the leader of God's people, made a decision to stand up and defend the people that needed God desperately, the people that, that were seeking out. And Joshua, being a picture of Jesus, is he's the Old Testament picture of Jesus, made his decision to defend those that were seeking him out. <laughs> Joshua and Jesus made a decision to defend those that sought him out. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. See, they they came to defend the Gibeonites, defend the the unsaved, the enemy here. And then look at verse 8, Joshua 10, verse 8. And this is why it's apparent that they had some level of fear or unknown going into this battle against these five armies. It says, and the Lord said unto Joshua, fear them not, for I have delivered them into thine hand there shall not a man of them stand before thee. Now why would God say that if there wasn't a hint of fear? God wanted to reassure them. We'll look at that a little later. So let's let's pray for a moment and we'll get back into to the message here. We'll dig in. Lord, I am so thankful for just your entire word, Lord, from beginning to end, how it points to you coming to our rescue, you having a plan for us, you desiring to be with us and to save us, Lord, and And I pray that we have a heart like you do for those that are lost, Lord, that those that do need you, that we take up this call, this command that you've given us to seek out and to to preach the gospel and to share the gospel, share the good news, and and even to stick up for these people, Lord. When there's opposition, Lord, I pray that we have the courage and faith in you, Lord, to stand up against the wiles of the devil and, and the plans of the devil and to defend these people and and to do our part, Lord, whatever it is you would ask us to do, to bring them into your house, defend them so that they might be saved and spend eternity with you. I pray you work a mighty, mighty work through me today through these words. And um, Lord, make it not about me at all, but all about you. And help us to claim also this abundant life that you would have for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: So let's look at number one,
0: Josh's, Joshua's we could call him Josh. Joshua's call to the Lord, number one. There were three factors combined to give Joshua success in this attack. We've seen him fail before at the city of Ai. There were things he failed to do. But in this instance, number one, it was believing a divine promise in verse 8. Number two, was using a sound strategy, a strategy that was known to work. And number three, calling on the Lord in prayer. Now that one's vital. You seek God out. You want to know what God has, what his plan is. What do you want me to do here, Lord? And we see that in verses 10 through 15. So Joshua saw, saw success because letter A, it was the, there was a promise here. Look at verse 8 again. And the Lord said unto Joshua, fear them not. I know they're mighty, Joshua. I know they, they are a massive army, but fear them not. Now, the battle hasn't yet happened, but listen to what God said here. "I, For I have delivered them into thine hand. It's already done. There shall not a man of them stand before thee. Not a single one is going to survive against you. Not a single one will defeat you, will stand before you. Joshua's actions here illustrate two important verses that we can cling to. Romans 14.23 14, 23 says, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. When we choose not to believe what God tells us, that's a sin. It's basically saying, Lord, I don't believe you. You're a liar. I don't, I don't trust you. I mean, you say you're going to defend me, but <laughs> who are you kidding? Like, I don't believe that. Just that thought is a sin. If I ever doubted God, and the, and the one instance I could think of is when he called me to preach, I laughed a little bit, and I said, there's no way you want me. <laughs> I don't know the Bible. I'm not, I'm not a speaker. I don't know how to write anything. And, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a, a teacher. I'm not a – but the second I started thinking that, I'm like, Lord, I am sorry. Because if you can do this with Abraham, you can do this with Daniel, you can do this with Joshua, you can do this with so on and so forth, who am I to tell you, Lord, that you're wrong and I'm I'm right? right. Yep. So, who, wh- whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. One thing we know about Joshua in, in chapter 1 is he meditated day and night on the word of God. As a leader of God's people, it was a requirement to be in the word of God and meditate on it. And it should be just an example that we can follow. God's people all the way down the line should be able to follow, be in the Word of God, seek God's will, and and He's with you. I mean, you you can cling to the promises. You can look at the game plan and see what God has in store for you. And and when we're going into the promised land of our of our walk with God, the things He has for us, He has promises. He has He has reassurances. Fear not, for I've already defeated these people. I've already defeated the oppositions against you. I have a promise for you. It's here. Just trust me. Whenever we believe the promises of God and obey the commands of God, we act by faith and can expect God's help. The Jews didn't have to be afraid because God had already promised them victory. God's promises of victory had encouraged Joshua when he became the leader of the nation. Looking back in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, God said, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. When Joshua was first commissioned, not a single man will stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide it. For an inheritance, the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. See, I promised Joshua that I will use you. No one will stand against you, no one will defeat you. I am with you. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law, the word, the Bible that we hold today shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night thou that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have a good success. You want to know what the answer is to all the problems in our life be in the word. That's the game plan. That's the that's the how to, that's the DIY book. That's the, the how do I how do I make myself better book? The, the self-help book. That's the book. Verse 9: Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And when he anticipated attacking Jericho, when Joshua was, was stepping into Jericho, Joshua 6, verse 2. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thy hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. And when Joshua attacked Ai after a humiliating defeat, Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into thy hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. See, these things hadn't happened yet, but God said, I will do this. It's already done. Just trust me. When we're walking in our, in our promised land and the life that God has for us, this life abundant, it's going to be hard, but God is with us and has already promised us victory. We are more than conquerors. We are victorious. Whether it's happened or not yet, it's going to happen. He's already promised it. We just need to step out in faith and take that promise. And along with that, when people come along like the Gibeonites, the people in our lives that don't know, know Christ yet, we could say, this is what God's doing in my life, come with me, let's go. Let's, let's join forces, let's, let's be allies together, let's, let's walk this walk with God together. Because he promised me, he, he promised you too, let's do this. God's promises would be fulfilled because in 1 Kings 8, 56, blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise." which he promised by the hand of Moses' servant. Not one promise he made failed. And if that's not a picture of our abundant life that he's promised us, I don't know what is. He has promised Canaan land for us. And every single promise he promised came true. And every single one from that point in history to now has come true. Joshua saw success because letter B. The strategy. Faith apart from works is dead, and Joshua proved his faith by using wise strategy. He he ordered an all-night march and a surprise attack on the enemy army, strategy he had used before on the attack at the city of Ai. If you don't know Joshua or anything about him, he was a mighty man of war. He was the head of the army of Israel for many, many years leading up to this. Joshua 10, verse 9. Joshua therefore came unto them suddenly and went up from Gilgal all night. It was a long trip from Gilgal to Gibeon, and the road was uphill. I've experienced that myself in training and, and uh, other field operations. Night marches with all of your gear in the middle of the dark up a mountain is a long road, and it's exhausting. Joshua assembled his troops and made the journey as quickly as possible. They weren't slowly walking there. They were rushing to help those that needed them. It is likely that the men were exhausted when they arrived, but the Lord was with them and gave them victory anyway. They were at the end of their ability, but God was there to give them victory. So what kept the soldiers going? What do we think it was? They believed God's promise and knew the victory was assured. If they doubted it, if they hesitated, it probably would have gone the same way the first attack on I did. But because they believed, they believed God's promise, they had victory. Through their exhaustion, through the middle of the night, whatever, that le- that, whatever led up to this moment, they believed God anyway, and God came through. God assisted the weary Jewish soldiers by killing the enemy army with large hailstones in verse 11. The timely occurrence of the storm was itself a miracle, but even, but an even greater miracle was the fact that the stones hit only the enemy soldiers. We're going to look at that in a little bit. God took his special ammunition out of his storehouse and used it to good advantage. God said in Job 38:22 through 23, "Hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow, or hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved against the time of trouble, uh, against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war?" I find it really interesting that that verse happened many years before this. He had a storehouse, and he rained it down in the middle of war to help Joshua, the Israelites, and the Gibeonites in this battle. God knows long before our battle comes what we need. When God's people are obeying God's will, everything in the universe works for them. Everything God has, his entire mighty army is working with us. When we disobey God's will, everything works against us. And, and sometimes God still, through his mercy and grace, he'll, he'll conquer the enemy for us, not let us suffer. But sometimes it's a, it's a long and agonizing disobedience. Just read Jonah chapter 1 for a vivid, vivid el- illustration of this truth. Kept Jonah, protected him. But it wasn't pleasant. (laughs) Letter C, the prayer. This is important. The miracle of the hailstorm was nothing compared to the miracle of extending the day so that Joshua could finish the battle and secure a complete victory over the enemy. His men were weary and the task was great. And if night came, the enemy would probably have escaped. Joshua needed a special act from God to enable him to claim the victory the Lord had promised. Look at verse 10. The Lord discomfited them before Israel and slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and chased them along the way that goeth up to Beth-horon and smote them to Azekah and to uh, Makedah. And it came to pass as they fled before Israel and were in the going down to Beth-horon that the Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them unto Azekah and they died. They were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said, In the sight of Israel, son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Agilon. Joshua prayed that. And verse 13, and the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is it not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that, before it or after it, that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua returned, and all Israel with him, unto the camp. To Gilgal. So, this is the last recorded miracle in Joshua, and it was definitely one of the greatest miracles in Joshua. Joshua prayed for God's help, and the Lord answered in a major way. There was no pleading with God, there was no argument with God, there was no, Lord, if you do this, I'll do this with God. It was a simple, Lord, I trust you, I'm going into battle. I need a miracle right now. I need you to do something amazing here. In my battle, in my walk, in this thing that I, I'm going into that I know you said you're going you're gonna to win, I don't know how it's going to happen, but Lord, help me right now. What did God do right away? Stop the sun and the moon. That's amazing. So if you don't think God can do something miraculous in your life, or maybe a friend's life, think again. He made the sun and the moon stop. And on top of that, think about the impact that would have on the world. If the tide stopped, if the rotation stopped, all those things that could have happened, God stayed that. Nothing happened that was out of God's control. This event is questioned by those who deny the reality of miracles and look only to science for truth. How could God stop the rotation of the earth and extend the day, the length of a day, they ask, without creating chaos over all the planet? They seem to forget the fact that days are normally different lengths in, in various parts of the world, or that maybe God has control here. How do they explain a miracle or any miracle? How do you explain that? The simplest answer is the answer of faith. The Lord is God first and foremost, and nothing is too hard for him. I mean, we, we limit God so much, it baffles me how much we limit God. He created all of existence with a word,
1: <laughs> and yet he
0: can't control the wind or or my ride to work or a job interview or a battle I'm facing, and, and you know, a trial I'm facing, or a temptation I'm facing. <laughs> That's too much for God. But you know, He, he made me out of nothing. Yeah. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy, thy great power, and stretch out thy arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Yeah. In verse 27, 10 verses later, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Day and night belong to God. Psalm 74, 16, the day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. He created it. And everything he has made is his servant. In Colossians, it describes Jesus as holding everything together. He wasn't holding it together. It would all just fall apart. Amen. If God can't perform the miracle described in Joshua 10, then he can't perform any miracle and is imprisoned in his own creation, unable to use or suspend the very law that he built. I have a difficult time believing in that kind of a God. Why would we follow a God that's incapable? Why do other people follow other false gods that are incapable? when there's a real God that is capable. Some say that God helped Israel so that the army was able to accomplish two days' work in one day, but Joshua's words sound more like a prayer that the Lord would intervene, and the description of what occurred doesn't read like a report of efficiency. So why why would we try to explain away a miracle? What are we going to prove by doing that? Definitely not that we're smarter than God. Either we believe in God who can do anything, or we must accept a Christian faith that is non-miraculous. And that does away with the inspiration of the Bible. It does away with the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's impossible. Sure, there's room for honest questions about the nature of the miracles, but for the humble Christian believer, there's, room, there's never room for questioning the reality of the miracles. It's called faith because we have to put our trust in it. We have to sit in the chair. We have to fully believe in it. C.S. Lewis wrote, the mind which asks for a non-miraculous Christianity is a mind in process of relapsing from Christianity into mere religion. Joshua prayed for a miracle and God gave him one. Lord, I believe I'm a sinner. Lord, I trust you died on the cross for me. You paid that penalty for me. I understand that I put you there. Lord, save me. You know what happened that day? (laughs) A miracle. He saved me instantly. It wasn't an ongoing trial or, or I mean, an application process or a vetting that had to happen. No, he was like, You're right. And I paid that price already. You're mine. was it I prayed a prayer and God came in and he, he did what he said he would do and number two Joshua's call to his army Jesus's call to his people at the end of an incredible battle and how amazing would it have been to be there to see God just sweep in and win Joshua performed a public ceremony that gave encouragement and strength to his soldiers. <laughs> Their past victories had given them control over the central part of the land, but now they faced campaigns in both the south and north Palestine. Divide and conquer was Joshua's strategy, and it was working. Because he sought God. He was in. He was in the word with God. He was meditating day and night with God, praying constantly with God, seeking God's counsel, seeking God's will. Yes, he failed a few times. God's people mumbled and grumbled a few times here along the way. But they kept moving forward. God's ultimate plan here was working. Joshua wanted to remind his men that the Lord would give them victory throughout the land. Jesus, in his word, wants to remind us that through, the, through our walk into our promised land, our abundant life, the Lord will give us victory. Knowing that the five kings were trapped in a cave, Joshua temporarily left them, led his men in the mopping up operation, the cleanup process, which... Verse 20 describes as slaying them with a great slaughter, or a very great slaughter. Only a few of the enemy soldiers escaped to the cities, but since those cities would eventually be destroyed anyway, those fugitives had no hope. Returning to the camp probably the next day, Joshua ordered the kings to be taken from the cave and put on the ground, their faces in the dirt. This humiliating posture announced that Joshua had won a total victory and their, their end had come. I liken that imagery right there to Jesus crushing Satan's head. A symbol of victory, total victory over Satan. And that was promised in Genesis chapter 3 for us. But there was more. He called for his officers to put their feet on the necks of the kings, symbolic not only of the past victory, but also of the victories the Lord would give his people in the days ahead. Now, his people, so if we liken Joshua to Jesus and Israel to God's people, he called his people to put their feet on the necks of Satan as well, or the enemy, right? We have victory. We have a reminder that we have victory. We will conquer. In verses 26 through 27, we see the kings were slain and the five corpses hung on five trees until sundown there. Then their bodies were put into the cave in a pile of stones closing up the entrance. Look at verse 26. And afterward, Joshua smote them and slew them and hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging upon the trees until the evening. And it came to pass at that time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, they took them down off the trees and cast them into the cave wherein they had been hid and laid great stones in the cave's mouth, which remained until this very day. And you're probably asking, why would they do any of that? Well, Back in Deuteronomy, there was a very specific procedure that had to be done, and that was what they were following. This pile of stones was another monument in the land speaking of the power and victory of the Lord. It was another pillar, another reminding place, this is what God did for me. In verse 25, Joshua's words must have thrilled the hearts of the the brave soldiers. Look at verse 25. And Joshua said unto them, fear not, nor be dismayed, be strong and of a good courage, for thus shall the Lord do to all your enemies against whom ye fight. It's very interesting how they echo the words God spoke to him when he began his career. See, so that's that's just the way the gospel works. God spoke to us, and we just say the same what God told us. This is what God did for me. That's now for you. That's that's the story. Verse. Or chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 Be strong and of a good courage. Sound familiar? For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. That verse right there, I just, the first time I read it, and this this time I'm not going to skip over this. Be strong and very courageous a command for us that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law everything that's written in the bible be strong be courageous stand up for it turn not from it to the left-hand or to the for, to the right-hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest i want you to prosper i want you to live abundantly i want you to have everything i have for you don't go to the left or don't go to the right stay right here Stay right here in the Word with me and be strong and courageous because I'm with you, I will see you through this. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. We struggle to do what God asks us to do. We struggle to be in the Word. We struggle to pray. We struggle to tithe. We struggle with our faith, with our walk with God, to obey all the things he has for us. Be strong and be courageous. Be in it day and night, so you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, then thou shalt have good success. God has promises. He says we will be successful, but we have a part in that walk. We have a part in that battle. That's to be in the word with him day and night and pray. Have not I commanded thee, God said, be strong and of a good courage. This is a reminder. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. If it seems humiliating to share the gospel, do it anyway. Be courageous. Be strong. I'm with you. I'll go wherever you go. So to conclude, since Joshua is a type of Jesus Christ, we can apply this scene, these words to Christ and his people. Jesus has defeated all his enemies and will one day return and destroy them forever. That's our hope. No matter how they may rage and rebel, our Lord's enemies are only a footstool at his feet. Psalm 110.1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. 1 Corinthians 15.25, For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. Through him, we, God's people, can claim victory and put our feet on the necks of our enemies. Put our feet on the necks of that temptation. Of that hard thing that we can't do on our own, which is everything. (laughs) Romans 16, 20, and the God of peace. That's a great descriptor, isn't it? Man, there's no peace like it. The God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. It's coming quickly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. As we review the whole history of Joshua and the Gibeonites, we can't help but be both warned and encouraged. These events warn us to be alert and prayerful. It is a a real battle that we're facing, a a real war spiritually that we are constantly involved in. So we have to be alert. We have to be prayerful. We do this because we don't want the enemy to deceive us like we saw them do to God's people here and for us to start walking by sight instead of by faith. If that were to happen, we would find ourselves making decisions that are wrong and getting into alliances that are dangerous. But there's also a word of encouragement in this text. God can take our mistakes and turn them into blessings. Because if it were up to us, we would fail every time. He can take our mistakes, turn them into blessings. And this isn't an excuse for carelessness, but it is a great encouragement when you failed the Lord and his people. For whatsoever is born of God, in 1 John 5, 4, whatever is born of God overcometh the world. We're reborn. So we overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The Bible's full of promises. Joshua is like the the battle that we face. And God, throughout the entire book of Joshua, be, be not afraid, be courageous, be strong. I'm with you, I will not leave you. I've got you. And when you make a mistake okay, I'm still with you. I'm not going to disown you. I'm not going to leave you behind. You're my people. You're my person. You're the one I died for. You're the one I love. And when someone else comes into our life that doesn't know that yet, it's up to us to share that with them and say, this is what God's doing with me. These are the amazing miracles. Look at all these, these pillars of, of, or monuments of what God did in my life. This is what God can do for you. And then we just share the battles we went through, the hurt we went through, the mistakes we went through, and how God used it anyway to do something miraculous and impossible. When we prayed a prayer that was, there was just no way it could happen, God did it anyway. <laughs> Starting with God saved me, right? Let's stand up for those that don't know God yet. Let's let's fight for them. Let's rush to their aid. Let's be there for them when they need it. And let's, let's do what God commands us to do. Go out into all the world and share the gospel.